Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Lord, it's in the name of Jesus that every tongue will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And so we do that this morning, Lord, and I thank you for bringing us together, especially in this type of weather, and be with those that may still be traveling. And we just invite you to join with us, Lord, as we just celebrate your presence, expressing our love to you. Lord, I pray that it would be genuine and of the heart. And Father, we just invite you to join with us in a mighty way. Help us to respond to your word. May the Holy Spirit have free reign. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Mark chapter 9. I'm going to have to admit that I'm struggling a little bit with today's message, not really knowing what to do with it. It's been one of those ones that have been interesting. Uh, I didn't struggle so much with the text. I didn't struggle so much with what it meant. What I really struggle with is applying it. And I'll maybe speak a little bit more about that, but I, I finally come to realize the reason I was struggling with this message so much is because this message this morning is speaking directly to me. I don't know if you've ever had that where you felt like I was preaching right to you. Sometimes that's true, but many times I'm thinking about myself, and this message was just conjuring up a lot of different emotions for me. And as we go through, you may see no one likes competition in Mark chapter 9. Competition, cliques, prejudices, biases... These are the words that many times defined our culture and even so much more today. We're a collection of tribes, so to speak, that gather around common likes, common dislikes, common desires and dreams and etc. And we spend vast amounts of energy trying to accomplish that thing. And anyone who thinks differently or looks differently or acts differently from us, we put them outside of that and it seems like we're in competition. And I know that that really, as I'm looking at this, is really speaking about me. Mark in his gospel has been using the life of teachings of Jesus to help us understand the values of the kingdom of God. We've learned four values of what you and I are to expect of the kingdom of God. First, we saw that salvation comes through suffering. We must deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. That suffering may include death. It may include things of ridicule. It it does include self-denial and through suffering. We saw that reconciliation coming to God comes through repentance. We saw that power comes through prayer and not of our own ability, but that from God. And that comes from a life that's constantly in prayer. And then fourthly, as we saw last week, honor comes through humility. God honors those, exalts those who humble themselves. We saw that as Mark records last week, how Jesus invaded the disciples' personal conversation about who would be the greatest. They were in competition with themselves. Who would be the greatest? Theologian and pastor R.T. France noted that while Jesus' eyes are fixed on his coming martyrdom, they are preoccupied with the question of status. While Jesus is talking of rejection and death, they are apparently thinking of a continuing moment in which there would be a leadership void, and they wanted to fill that. Jesus uses their argument to illustrate what defines greatness in the kingdom of God by bringing a little child among them. 
And in it, he shares that the kingdom of God's greatness is reserved for those who seek after the glory of God above their own and seek after the honor of others before their own. Last week, the question was, who is the greatest? Today, we're going to see that the disciples are concerned with competition. Let's read this passage. Mark chapter 9, 38 through 41. And John said to him, this is speaking of the apostle John, he would go on to write at least four books or five books of the Bible. Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. And we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because of you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Father, open our minds and hearts to receive your word. I pray that you would just speak to us in a mighty way. Show us in which ways that we are still in competition with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Show us in the ways in which we are not loving others. Show us in which ways in which we're trying to keep certain people out. Expose that sin in our heart, that continuing pride that fuels and feeds that competition spirit. And Lord, may you be glorified as we respond to the Spirit's work. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Mark's use of the pronoun we indicates that it was not just John, but all the disciples were concerned about this exorcist who was going around casting out demons. It seems like John is prompted from their previous conversations to admit that their pride had led them to consider other miracle workers as outsiders who should not be tolerated. This exorcist was casting out demons in the name of Jesus. He recognized the power of Jesus' name. He seemed to be a believer of Christ, though we're not exactly told, but yet Christ identifies him as one who is not against us. The problem was not that he was casting out demons, but that he was not a member of their group, the Twelve that he was successful in doing it. You might recall several weeks ago the disciples themselves are probably still smarting and embarrassed of the event in which they were not able to cast out some demons. John's confession is, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. I'm going to give you three observations. What's fueling this? What's feeding this desire from them, this desire for competition, this desire to stop him is pride. And we need to see that pride, if we continue to allow it to control our lives, is going to have some disastrous results. And number one, we see that the first observation is that pride led them to develop boundaries. He was not following us. He was not one of us. They're defining who is in and who is out. They're setting out a clique. They're setting out who their tribe is. And in this case, they look and clearly see that this man is not one of us. It doesn't matter if he was doing good. He's not one of us. This was important to them. And I recognize in my own heart, my own mind, I have that type of spirit many times. And I think if you're honest, you can see that you're not one of us. The second thing is not only did pride lead them to develop boundaries, but once they developed those boundaries, it led them to competition. It says, we tried to stop him. Competition is a rivalry for supremacy. 
They wanted at all costs to stop this man just because he was not one of them. And you say, but what's wrong with that? I mean, shouldn't they have been kind of sitting, well, Christ gave them the power. Why should anyone else have it? But the thing is, is not only did pride lead develop boundaries, and many times those boundaries are unhealthy, unspiritual, and unbiblical. Boundaries will lead them to competition. But look, number three is competition led them to be unloving towards others. Now, this isn't clearly stated, but I want you to see what it says. It says, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. And you may ask, well, how did pride, what was wrong with the boundaries? What's wrong with the competition? Well, what did they want to do? They wanted to stop him, but what was the man doing? Was he doing anything sinful? Was he doing anything wrong? Was he doing something that was disgracing the name of Christ? What was he doing? He was casting out demons. Was that wrong? Was that bad? No. What they were trying to do just because he was not one of them, they wanted to stop him at all cost. Why? Because he's just not one of them. But what's the consequence of stopping him? The fact that many would go on and live their lives in torment. When we have that type of pride, when we make those type of boundaries, when we go to that type of competition, someone pays the price. And in this case, when it comes to the kingdom of God, that type of attitude leads to an unloving attitude towards others, and someone misses out. Now, here's the area where this was striking me as very clear that I struggle with this issue. Now, growing up, we were independent fellow Baptists. By the way, I look upon that very fondly. I love my home church. So anyone who's back home listening to this, I love your church. Still love it. I still pray for it. But however, many times we were presented as the only Christians in town. And maybe the five or six or seven others that were in town. And that type of attitude, see, we developed boundaries that were biblical in some cases, but when we have the boundaries, it led us to competition. And there are times when still in my heart, I see other churches or other Christians as not one of us. And that leads me to think, well, since they're not one of us, I don't really want them to be in competition with me. In the same way, then, that leads me to be unloving. I remember we had a church. I met a a man who was starting a church just around the corner. He's coming from an old background that I love. I, and I said, I need to meet him. And, you know, because my thought was, man, I just, we're struggling so much here. I just, I don't want another church right around the corner. That's too much competition. However, after meeting this young man and looking and praying with him and talking to his heart, I saw how much he loved God. In the end, he was reaching people that I am probably not going to be able to reach. And that's been a struggle as a pastor, obviously, of a small church. You're always thinking of these types of things. But see, here he's saying is is the type of pride, where that's coming from in my heart, was not a desire to protect my church, but really a desire to protect what I feel was my turf. And I don't know if you've ever felt that way, but that's obviously how I felt. And in growing up, that was always the case. And so as I was looking at this, I think, right, 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 I'm struggling with this very issue. Like John, I am trying to stop those, prevent those, not tolerating those who are also brothers and sisters in Christ, but yet are doing good. For in that matter, when we have this type of attitude, 
we're preventing the work of God to continue. And as you look at here, John and the disciples, basically because of competition, because of pride, they are wanting the work of God really to stop and grow unless it's only by their hands. Turn back to Mark chapter 3. I think if you're there in Mark, just look at chapter 3. Here's what was fueling their pride. We see that the twelve were especially appointed by Christ for special instruction and power. In Mark chapter 3, 13, he says, And he went up on the mountain and he called him those whom he desired. And they came to him and he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. These disciples were protecting their status as the disciples of Christ. They were set up as men with special mandate and special teaching. And all of that was true. They were his main man. But to have someone that was not one of them, that could not be tolerated. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like, you know, i got to protect my turf? Don't talk to my children. Don't, don't tell my children what to do. It only comes through me. It comes through subtle ways in which we always want to be the center. We always want information to come through us. I know as a pastor, that's something as I've struggled with pastors when I was associate pastor, I find myself still struggling as a senior pastor and learning how to give up ministry, learning how to allow others to minister and to be. And here's what I want to share with you, because in the end, you and I are all ministers of God for those of us that are called and chosen. All of us have been given spiritual gifts. This is not the Pastor Rob show and now the Pastor Dustin show. And let me tell you, it's taking work for me to learn how to, to give it to someone else. Especially when you've been used to doing it all the time. But I want to share with you in the same way, we need to look and find the areas in our life in which pride and competition. It could be in church setting, but it could also be in our relationships with our children, relationships with our spouse, our relationships at work, ways in which our pride is fueling an intolerant attitude. To have someone that was not one of them could not be tolerated in their mind. They could not care if anyone was cast out or not, but if it wasn't for them, then it could not be done. They had become cliquish and saw anyone outside of their group as a competition and a threat to their group. Let me ask, what are cliques? When we think of cliques, cliques are small, exclusive groups of people. And typically we'd ask, well, are cliques wrong? Are cliques sinful? You know, and I've answered this probably differently through different periods of my life. I worked as a teen pastor, and so you recognize cliques can be very detrimental to a group. Cliques can be very detrimental to a church. It can be detrimental to a lot of different organizations and social constructs. But in the end, we have to recognize that all of us form naturally into cliques, do we not? If I were to say, why don't you guys get into prayer groups? You would all get in prayer groups, most likely with people that are typically people that you deal stuff with. When you go out to eat, you typically set with people that are like you. That's just typically how we are. Any group of people normally put themselves in a certain type of grouping. And we include people. It could be anything that we have natural boundaries, likes and dislikes that connect us. There are certain things that do that. And we typically connect with groups and groups ourselves around with people, others like us. There's nothing normal or abnormal or sinful about it. It's normal. But where they become sinful 
is when we prevent others from joining that group. See, if we were to have a, a dinner or a table, and this happens on first Sunday, look who sets together. It's usually the same people sitting together. There's nothing wrong with that. But let me ask, if someone different from you came to set, how would you feel? Would you say outwardly, you'd say, oh, yes, but inwardly you'd cringe and find a way to move quickly? See, that's how we work in our lives. As we see this type of attitude clearly in our politics, in our schools, in our social media, in our religion, in our churches, we're critical of anyone that has a different philosophy, a different worldview, a different racial makeup, and even a different economic status. You'll find this very often. Not only are we critical, but we want to silence them. And that's the type of environment we live in today. You can look at our political correctness today, in which even universities and schools are fighting that, in which they want to silence any debate and silence any criticism. And that's spreading itself in all sorts of ways. We see it in the political realm right today. In this, in this thing, not only do we not want to tolerate, we want to silence them. It's not the type of world that God has created for us. It's not the type of world in which we live in. We see the same problem in the Old Testament. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Numbers chapter 11. What's happening here with John and the disciples happened hundreds and thousands of years before. In Numbers chapter 11, you're going to see a portion of Scripture where Moses is getting tired, he's getting weared down, and he says, we need some other men to lead with, to lead with me. And God says, well, give 70 men and have them come meet me at this place. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to come and I'm going to give them my spirit. And they'll be able to lead and to help you in your work. Numbers chapter 11, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, fourth book in the Bible. Numbers chapter 11, verse 26. Now two men remained in the camp. These men were appointed, but yet they never came to the meeting. One named Eldad and the other was named Medad. And the Spirit rested on them, even though they were not in the place that they were to be. They were among those that were registered, but they had not gone out to the tent. And so they prophesied in the camp. The other 68 were prophesying outside the camp. In verse 27, and a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. But look at verse 28. And Joshua... The son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord Moses, stop them. Sound familiar? But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all of the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. I don't think Joshua was expecting Moses to say that. Moses is not in the spirit of competition. And it seems as we go on that Jesus had the same mindset as Moses as we look in verse 39 and 40. Jesus had that same attitude. Jesus actually tells them, don't stop that man. Could you imagine what? But Jesus, he's not one of the 12. He's not one of us. He hasn't undergone intensive training. He hasn't gone in intensive instruction. He hasn't gone to the mountaintop. He wasn't sent out two by two. He's not under your banner. Jesus says, what? Don't stop them. And he gives them three ways. It starts with that little clause four, with that word four. Jesus tells them they should not stop because for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak of it. He says, don't stop them. 
Because once he's spoken in my name, he's not going to speak ill. It's just logical thinking. He's pointing out that once the exorcist was successful, he would not then turn against Jesus. He would see the power of Jesus in a more miraculous way. Obviously, that is what he has seen. Though he's not part of the 12, he sees the power of Jesus' name. He sees that people are hurting, and he goes out, and he says it. Now, in Acts, we see that that's not always the case. We see some demons turn on some men that try to use Jesus' name inappropriately and wrongly with the wrong heart, but obviously this man's desire is to help others. Jesus says, don't stop him, for anyone who does a mighty work in my name will not be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. The second he says, don't stop that one, for the one who is not against us is what? For us. Disciples here are to focus on their task and leave the rest up to God. Not being quick to criticize others who also follow Christ, but who do not belong to their group. This is where I struggle, to be honest with you. Generous acceptance, though, is that we are to be accepting of these people, but generous acceptance, however, does not apply to those who do not follow Christ at all. One is either with Jesus or against him. In Matthew 12, 30, Jesus warns that whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. In this case, Jesus says his actions, his attitudes, his success shows that he's not against us. Don't stop him. The kingdom of God and the mission that he has given us has been given to all of those who are his disciples, to all those who have turned towards him. And we need to realize that there are different groups and different people who may do it differently. But our job is not to stop them. Our job is just to rejoice that God's word is being distributed, is being shared. And leave it up to God to judge his servants. Scripture says, don't judge another man's servant. But I know that I've been guilty of that many times myself. Then thirdly, don't stop them. For he says, for truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Jesus uses just a basic Eastern hospitality illustration. The giving of water was a basic Eastern form of showing hospitality to one another. Water was refreshing and encouraging to the traveler, especially in the hot climate of the desert. But it was also such a basic request and a basic act of hospitality that it usually did not merit a thank you or some type of reward. However, what Jesus is teaching, that in the kingdom of God, no act, no matter how small, goes unnoticed. Jesus considers the acts of kindness done to his followers to have been done to him. His reward is his unique place and service in the eternal kingdom. The reward that we see here is the approval of God in the kingdom. So even though they may not approve of what this man is doing, we find that Jesus does. That God approves of what this man does. And that leads us to the value that I want to share with you today. Value number five is that reward comes to receiving all of God's children. Reward comes to receiving all of God's children. Our approval is based on our acceptance of God's children, even when they're not like us. Take your Bibles, if you wouldn't, turn to Matthew chapter 25. Near the end of that chapter, first book in the New Testament, Jesus is speaking of that end time, that kingdom, when he's going to judge and reward and punish those who are his children and those who are not. He says, when a son of man comes in his glory and all his angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. 
And before him will gather all the nations, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. And I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him in verse 37, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or feed you, or thirsty give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison or visit you? And look at verse 40. And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. What is that speaking of? It's not just speaking us being gentle and kind and loving neighbors, but it's specifically talking about how we treated other believers in Christ. So how do we treat them? How do we treat those that are among us? How do we treat those that are outside of us? The lesson here is that you and I need to be ready to receive those who normally would reject others. Theologian R.T. France writes of this and says it's the open borders of the kingdom of God. And I think that's what you and I need to understand. Let me tell you this. This is what I need to understand. When it came to applying this, like I said, I had a very difficult job. So in the end, I figured, you know what, I'm going to apply it to myself and then I'll allow the Holy Spirit to apply it to you and how he sees fit. For you and I have many times in which we allowed our pride to create boundaries that are unhealthy or could be unhealthy or could be unscriptural or unbiblical. It's many times we make uh, boundaries such as denominations. Nothing necessarily wrong with that. We make them around national boundaries. We make boundaries over race, maybe economic boundaries, political boundaries, and theological boundaries. Any group, though, I would say, has the right to decide its boundaries, the parameters in which it will define who they are and what they think and how they live their lives. Here at OVBC, we have done that with our members. We have defined what it means to be a member and all that a membership entails. However, you and I must be careful of how we draw those boundaries. And here's where I speak of myself. There are many times as I've grown that I have made my boundaries very, very small. Very small. So small to the fact that anyone who did not meet my criteria, I would look at them with suspicion. Maybe even skepticism of their salvation or their love for God. And when we do those types of things, we have to remember it leads us to judge others just as John and the disciples were judging this exorcist. And I've been guilty of doing the same thing. Over my life, I can remember times in which, well, this church and that church, even as I'm driving here, I'm thinking, you know, I want to pray for other churches. I want to fellowship with other churches, but I'm always wondering, is my circle too small or my circle too big? Or is my circle just right? Maybe it's the go to lock story. I don't know. And each of us will have to come to understand where our circle, where our boundaries are. But I want to say for us this morning that our boundaries should start and begin with the one that Scripture has given us. For the line of demarcation, the boundary, our dividing line, is based and found in Galatians chapter 1. So turn to there, if you would. For us as a church, for us as Christians, the minimum 
of our boundary is found in Galatians. And that's in the acceptance of the gospel. For that's where our boundary should start. And then how it develops is much to the biblical principles and the values that the kingdom has given us. In Galatians chapter 1, Paul is writing to that church. They are struggling. They are accepting some teaching that Paul has not given them. And he gives them this warning. He says in verse 6 of Galatians 1, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there's another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be what? Let him be accursed. And as I said before, so I now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. And so for you and I, our boundaries start with the biblical concept of what is the gospel. To know whether or not someone is a believer or church is a good New Testament church, we start with the gospel. What's the gospel? Boy, we have turned this over and over but it's good for us to understand. Again, the gospel simply is recognizing who God is. That God is a wonderful God and that He is the creator of all that we see. And that all that we have is a gift from Him to us. And that we live in His grace. And that He has created us that we may look upon Him and give thanks. That He might be the object of our admiration. And that we may worship Him as our creator and God. But yet the problem is, is we have failed to do so. The problem is in man is that we have sinned, we have rebelled against this God. And instead of giving him thanks and instead of putting him as the object of our admiration and worship, we have replaced him with ourselves. In our pride, we have said, we are God. And it shows itself in the myriad of ways in which we live our lives. The Bible tells us that we in every act and every spirit, we have broken the law of God in which he has called us to. And we find ourselves, because of that, in rebellion against an holy and almighty God. And fallen in sin, we now cannot come towards God. And in it, we are dead in our sins. And the Bible says, as appointed unto man once to die, then after this, the judgment. And you and all of us will stand guilty as charged, as Paul tells us. That there is none righteous, no, not one. And there's none that seek after God. And we've all have gone astray. But God in His love wanted to solve that problem. Religions have been started to solve that problem. Philosophies have begun and sprung up to solve that problem. All sorts of things have come up to solve the problem of who are we and what are we here for. But until we recognize that there's an almighty God that we will one day give an account, we fail. So God sent His Son. He sent Him to us to do what we could not do. To not only pay the penalty of our sin by taking upon Himself our sin and bearing our shame and our guilt, not only taking our records of wrong, but He took it upon Himself in that God no longer sees our sin, but He sees it on Christ. But not only has He done that, but He's also given us the righteousness of God where Jesus was successful in obedience to God, in my stead, where I failed, God gave me His obedience. And it was a great exchange. 
So the gospel tells us that my sin is taken off of me and put on Christ. And Christ's righteousness is taken off and put it on Him. And so when God sees us, for those that He calls, for those that turn and repent of their sin and turn towards Him, He gives us the very righteousness of God. That is the good news of the gospel. And with that, He calls us then to respond to that call. As He says, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And I would express that probably many of you have done so. You've responded to the gospel by recognizing it comes through faith, trusting that Christ has done what God has required. If you're here this morning and you have not, then would you do so today? Would you come up after the service and come to dust and say, you know what, I'm turning and trusting and following Christ today. Would you come and let us rejoice with that? Let us share with you what your next steps are. If you're here, if you're unsure of the gospel, let us talk with you. Let us show with you how the gospel can come and change your life. But not everyone has that type of discernment. As I drive through to come to church, I pass several churches. Some of them seem like good churches. Some of them don't. Some of them have circles that I would agree with them. Others, they're outside of that. And so in my mind, I have to think, is this church a gospel preaching church. Well, is it very clear that has to be the line, the minimum line that we must have? And I share this because there are many times that I've been skeptical and I have been intolerant of other churches and other Christians. And I admit that to you this morning. In my prayer, I said, Father, Lord, help me to do so. Help me to see that other churches and other pastors and other Christians come from other tribes than just like us. Christianity does have many flavors. There's one gospel, but it expresses itself in many different ways. I think that was very clear when Rick says, Hey, Rob, I just want to let you know our church was praying for you this Sunday. I remember there was a time when I was in Rockford in my home church. I was at a different church at that time. They said, Hey, Rob, we've been praying for your church on our Saturday men's prayer. What an awesome thing. And I'm thinking, are we that type of church? Are we praying for other churches? Are we open to other fellowships with other Christians and believers? Or do we continually close our doors? Do we allow pride to color us with competition? But I also want to say that there's some of you that have not always shown discernment in this issue. There's some that follow people who say they're Christians, but yet there is no gospel. Or the gospel is so distorted that it no longer resembles the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I want to encourage you is that when we look at people who proclaim the name of Christ, we do need to show discernment. There are times that in our Facebook and our social media and with others, sometimes we promote those that I would say they are not believers either. I mean, they're not Christians They've lost the gospel. The gospel isn't there. So we can't be like John and where we stop everyone, but we need to recognize what is true. In John chapter 1, John says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is deceiver and an antichrist. He says, Watch yourself so that you may not lose what you work for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him a greeting. 
So just as Jesus is saying, listen, open up your borders, there's a sense where Jesus is saying, close your borders as well. For whoever greets him, it says, takes part in his wicked works. We do have to realize that not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter in the kingdom of heaven. But as Jesus says, the one who does the will of the Father. For Jesus says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I would declare to them, I never knew you apart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So you and I have to have the gift of discernment. And that gift of discernment cannot be fueled or colored by competition, by pride, and by artificial boundaries that are not biblical. I don't know what God will do with this message for you. I know what it's doing for me. Nine Marks is a group that I love to read, and they have some great things on churches. He says, The question, therefore, is not should Christians cooperate with others whom they disagree with theologically, but how much theological agreement should they require for various levels of cooperations, such as being members of the same church or pulling resources to send missionaries to a foreign country, or publishing books together. Different kinds of Christian cooperation will require different levels of agreement. And I know that may sound bookish to you, and it is somewhat. But in it, I want to share with you as a church, we are trying to look and see what is it that God is calling us to do. And I want to open your minds to some things that are a little bit different for us at OVBC. For us at OVBC to fulfill our mission and mandate, we must open our hearts and our homes to those who are not always like us, to those who are not of our group, but yet who love Jesus. You see, the competition, the boundaries, could prevent us from sending missionaries to people who believe it or who need the gospel. You and I need to start to support churches local and abroad that share our vision and our mission. We have an opportunity to open up our church to a couple new congregations. One is a Messianic Jewish group that we're looking at allowing to use the church on Sunday. And speaking and talking with him, again, this is a group that I'm like, I'm not sure, but listening and hearing his heart talking about Jesus, I was only just enthralled about someone who loved Jesus as much as we do. They tackle it a lot differently, but then the thought was in the past, I said, you know what, I don't need this type of trouble. I don't need this type of problem. Another group here on Saturday before Sunday, what a mess, what a problem. But in open our hearts, we see they're reaching people for Christ that you and I would not have the hope for or even the opportunity. But then this is something we want you to be praying for, and we're going to be giving you more information as we go on. As God has laid upon our heart to not start a Spanish ministry, to start a Spanish church or bring a Spanish church, but to begin to start a bilingual ministry. God has given us the opportunity to speak and to minister to many Spanish-speaking families. Mainly it is with their children. We have their children with us uh, several times a week. But knowing that it's their parents that we also want to reach. And we know that there are some things. We've, we've had some ways in which we try to reconcile that. But in speaking with other pastors and others, we recognize that there is an opportunity for them to come and be part of us in unique ways. So we want you to be praying for that. That God will allow us and show us how to do that well. But it starts here. It's not enough for me just to have that passion or for Dustin, it's, I need you to have it. I need you to see that it's not just OVBC against everyone else, but God is calling us together to do 
these types of things. Begin praying for these endeavors. Pray for how you might get involved, how you may be able to support it, and how you can serve, and how you and I can strive for the unity of brothers and sisters in Christ. For above all, God has called us to be unified as brothers and sisters. May God give us the grace and the wisdom to be able to discern between those who have the gospel and those who have the gospel but may do it a little bit different than us. May we understand the difference between those who are brothers and sisters, that we may receive them and give them comfort, that we may be rewarded by being accepted by God Himself. Father, I pray that you just be with us. Lord, I thank you for speaking to my heart. And Lord, I pray that you be with the rest of us as we go through this week. Help us to see the areas in which our pride has fueled the way in which we consider outsiders or we've labeled outsiders. And Lord, we're not tolerant of them. Lord, we're not open to hearing from them. Lord, help us to recognize and give us discernment between those who are true believers, the true churches, and those, Lord, who are using your name for evil. And Lord, I pray that you'd give us the difference to know that. In your name we pray. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith@orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.